Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey. I'm your host, and as the name says, our listeners are business creators, and they tend to fall into one of four different categories. The first category are entrepreneurs, small business owners, and local business owners. The second category are marketing and business coaches. And the third category are folks who help others build their businesses. These could be web designers, graphic designers, online business managers, social media strategists, media and publicity strategists, publicity agents, anybody who helps any entrepreneur or business owner win at the game of business and marketing. And, of course, we have our do-it-yourselfers who run their own businesses, handle their own marketing, and just love the power that comes with keeping their own hands on the levers. And some like that to a certain degree, so I can definitely relate. If you are one or more of the above, take a moment, explore episodes, and discover how our experts can help you win at business at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Also, be sure to check us out on iTunes. Just do a search for Business Creators Radio Show, and every five-star rating is greatly appreciated and helps us help more business creators just like you win at the game of business and marketing. Today, we're going to be talking about identifying your personal sales style and how that can stop your fear of sales. One of the most popular topics on the Business Creators Radio Show is how to close sales over the telephone or how to close sales in person or how to bring that visitor to your web page to the point where they're ready to take the action, which is what we call website conversions. This is something that our listeners demand. This is something that we feel like we can never get enough perspective on. And I'm very, very excited today to have with us Jenny Olding of rockyourlifestyle.com. And just to tell you a little bit about Jenny, for those of you who have not yet heard of her, she's a sales and lifestyle expert and coach. Born in Ohio, Jenny graduated from the University of Rio Grande with no debt which is very rare in today's world. I mean, I can't even say that. I have student loan debt, and I think pretty much everybody else does. And she pulled this off while earning a 3.9 GPA, playing three sports, and participating in two study abroad programs, so running circles around me. In September of 2013, she was inducted into Rio Grande's Athletic Hall of Fame. Straight out of college, she began a professional sales career in which she became a six-figure earner by the age of 27. She's been a recipient of multiple President's Club Awards, which is an award designated as top sales representative in a company. She's the author of the book, Rock Your Lifestyle. It's your life. Start acting like it. And she loves to work with people and companies who need help shifting their mindset about sales. She's focused on giving as much as possible and loves to connect people and create solutions and ideas for those who cross her path. Jenny, do we have you on the line? I'm so excited. Somebody's excited. All right. How how are you doing today? I am doing phenomenal. Couldn't be doing better because that – were you talking about me right there in that little blurb? Holy cow. Well, um, do you think you're going to be able to live up to that? Because that's a pretty strong billing right there. Um, I'm not sure if I could live up to that. Somebody said that about me. <laughs> well, no, I'm I'm excited. Today's a good day, and I'm glad that uh, we're crossing paths with all of your listeners. I'm I'm excited. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, before we dive in to today's information, let's just take a quick step back and give those of our listeners who may not have yet heard of you a chance to get to know you a little bit. So, just in your own words. 
tell us a little bit about your background and what brought you to where you are today, helping folks with their personal sales style and helping them get over their fear of sales. You know, I, the way I'm going to answer this question is you already heard all the credentials and everything, but I've always been a very hyper-driven, like, as my mom likes to call me, high-strung. Like, I was all over the place. She said I was always dancing and sweating and moving. So I've always been full of energy. And I've lived my life this way until I realized that the majority of people don't. So uh, a turning point for me is I just turned 30. And I realized that it's, it's time to slow down and really think about everything that I'm doing and everything, do things more intentionally. And so where this started is three years ago, I got divorced from a close to three-year marriage, and that literally rocked my world. Like, I mean, it rocked my world. And I really had no idea what I was going to do with my life. And about two years ago, I decided that I did not want to be in corporate America anymore, and I wanted to be in an entrepreneurial path. And that's when I started getting more intentional about the steps I wanted to take and the things I wanted to do with my life. And so, therefore, I continued on my sales career, continued to do it, make great money and, and hit all the numbers and rock out there. But then I really thought, okay, how can I empower others? Like, how can I help people do what I have done? Because the thing about sales is everybody knows they need to learn sales, but so many people are afraid of it. And so I'm like, it's really not that bad. Like, you can make great money if you know how to sell. And so that's really what triggered, like, everything in my life from this point forward to start my business, help people. Like, I just, I'm, I'm a ball of energy. I love putting it out there. I mean, is this what you're looking for, Adam? Because I'm, like, trying to just be real. Like, I'm trying to just lay it all out without being like, oh, it's great. I have all this good, absolute, you know, yeah. I have all these great awards. Ugh. Yeah, basically it's what we're looking for. We're just looking to give our listeners a sense of what has driven you to the point where you are so that we can see the forces that have created this energy that we're experiencing on the call here right now. Yeah, I mean, everything I just named, I mean, I've loved, I've played sports my whole life. I love to travel. Like, I don't like settling in my life. I had a pharmaceutical sales job, and it was felt like settling because I was just, pretty much like an order taker. You know what I'm saying? I just go in, drop off samples, just try to get the doctors to write the scripts, and that was boring. Like, I love challenge. I don't like being part of status quo or having my life be status quo, which is why I always want to take it to the next level. I always want to be learning the next thing and learning how I can be the next person who I need to be to take my life and everything else to the next level. Great. Absolutely. Well, before And again, before we jump into all the great information you're going to share with us today here, here on the Business Creators Radio Show, we provide, as our listeners know, the tools, techniques, and strategies to help entrepreneurs quickly grow their businesses. And a lot of our listeners will tell me that they have everything they need to implement anything that any of our guests will share except for those two things, time and money. Now, this is a question we ask every expert, expert who appears on our show, and what I'd like to know is how can time and money influence the ability to succeed when it comes to sales? Uh, I ask this question of everybody because I like not only the variety of responses I get, but also the variety of interpretations of the question. So go for it. This is perfect timing for this question because last night I just attended Full Throttle Experience 
Peak Performance Symposium, which was held by my mentor, Delatoro McNeil. And one of the things that he was talking about that a lot of people believe they need to succeed in peak performance is time management. And it was funny watching him say, time management is baloney. It's really self-management. Because right. I love how he put it. He said, you know, you can't pack up time and put it in a freezer, you know, or put some saran wrap over it or put some foil over it. It's not something that you can, like, save for later. Like, it, it happens. You have the same hours that I have. We all have the same hours. So it's just a really interesting way to say, you know what, that's true. Like, time will come and go. And a lot of people say that time is your most valuable asset. And you really have to think about that because, like, how do you spend your time? I mean, the turning point is 30. You know, I look at my life and I'm like, wow, I've done a lot. But I don't want to be 40 or 50 or 60 or 80 and think, geez, where did all the time go? Why didn't I do more? So using I don't have enough time and I don't have enough money, I see those sometimes as excuses. Because you have enough time and money to do anything that you want in your life. And I watched this unfold as I watched some of the people in my life last year tell me they did not have money to put into personal development, but yet they showed up at my house a couple weeks later for like, with like a $400 purse. Oh, my God, I bought a new Louis Vuitton. Look, I'm not bashing Louis Vuitton. I'm not bashing any of that. But if you want to achieve something in your life and you're saying you don't have money and you're saying you want that thing, you want you want your business to grow, you want to go to the personal development seminar, you want to invest in yourself but I don't have money, and then you go drop money on something that isn't helping you get there, then you need to stop complaining that you don't have money to get where you want to go. Right. You have money for anything you want. You have time for anything you want. Think about dating. I mean, like, think about dating with this. Like, if you're dating... You make time for the people you want to see. And if you're too busy to see somebody, you probably don't want to see them. Right. So that's, that's how I view that. You, you control both of those. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. And I think that has to do with anything that we find valuable. If we're not making time for it, if we're not getting to it, then it must, must not be that important for whatever reason. And there's no reason to judge that. I remember uh, I had a client who had just – released and published a book and we're thinking you know well what about promoting this book what about getting the speaking engagements what about all the additional marketing and everything else but it seemed like he wanted to put all of his energy into his involvement with a local charity and I even asked the part well when are we going to start working on this book all we hear about is this charity and your fundraisers and everything else and Part of that was just symptomatic of the fact that he really did not want to be in the industry that he wrote the book for. It took him a year to realize that, but the clues were there, is was my observation. So history, as it played out, kind of revealed that. So, Jenny, I sense a lot of passion from, from you on this topic. So can you tell us, why are you so passionate about all this stuff when it comes to helping people overcome their fear of sales? You know, I think the passion comes from, I've, I've been a professional sales rep for 10 years in the corporate world, and it comes from a couple of different things. It comes from seeing bad sales reps out there, and I'm sure that many of your listeners have met these people, you know, the people who are trying to force you into something you don't want, who are trying to make right. you sign on the line because, they're, you know, it's something called commission breath. Like, you can smell it on them. You're like, oh, my God. 
You're just trying to make <laughs> money on me. <laughs> and some people are really good at it. They may not be slimy, but they're really good at what they do. But you, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're still pushing it. So, like, it drives me crazy that there are people out there like that who ruin the reputation of what sales, good sales professionals do and what the opportunity that entrepreneurs, small business owners, local businesses, you know, these business coaches, marketers, like whatever you do, they ruin the reputation for why you may be scared of sales. It drives me crazy. It drives me crazy. And even, Adam, I've come from, you know, making those six figures in these corporate sales jobs. People who are professional salespeople who literally go into, I worked in the medical, I worked in dental. They go to dental offices and they tell the dentist, oh, my gosh, you need to buy my product. You need to buy this $30,000 piece of equipment because this is going to change your business. I believe in it. It's awesome. Then next thing you know, there's a distributor who's going to sell it so they lose the sale. It's the same product, Adam. It's the same freaking product. And they lose the sale because it's going to go through a distributor route instead of through them. And then they start bashing their product. Doctor, this product sucks. You shouldn't get it. I don't even know why you waste your time. That right. drives me crazy. Drives me crazy. So because selling is a must-have skill, I want to help uncuff the entrepreneurs from the shackles that hold them back from growing their business. I want to uncuff the small business owners, the marketing coaches, the business coaches, the graphic designers. Like I want to help them to grow their business by, let's say, like let's put all that that bad, poor reputation of sales off to the side. Like, like just shove it over there because other people do it, but doesn't mean you have to do it. Right. So that's, right. that's yeah, I mean, like, you know, just because it's out there. I asked, I asked a group of um, insurance professionals. I said, I asked them, what is sales? And they told me, they said, oh, sales, you know, sales is, you know, like slimy, and we don't want to be called sales reps, so we call ourselves account managers, and we call ourselves business professionals. Like, you try to think of different names to come around it. And I asked them, I said, well, if you don't want to be that, why is that the first thing that comes to your mind? And they really looked back at me, and they were like, you know, that's true. You know, because I was like, whatever you think about sales, that's still going to be projected inside of you. So let's shift that mindset of how you view sales and how we – so we can, like, surge forward and make money and have more fun and create the life that, that we want. Exactly. Exactly. So I, there is a question I just have to ask because you have such a background in sales, and I know you've heard a lot of crazy stories. And a lot of our listeners have at one point or another, whether they're in sales now or they were in sales in the past, have sold something that was a little bit crazy. So what's the weirdest thing you've ever sold? <laughs> All right. So I sold everything from toilet paper to teeth. Wow. And I remember, right, I remember right out of college, I was working for Cintas, the uniform people. Have you heard of them? Yes. Yes. Right. So I was selling for Cintas. And, you know, like right out of college, what are we, like 21, 22, 23, right? If you did Here the traditional eight. college shooting, right, uh, schooling path. So we're going out to the bars. We're hanging out. And because we sold the toilet papers, the floor mats, the soap, the air fresheners in the bathrooms at the bars, we'd go out. We'd walk in the bathroom and be like, oh, they're using a competitor. Uh, you know, like we knew everything about that. And the, the right. other girls in the bathroom would be like, oh, my God, what weirdos. You know, I mean, I can tell you how many feet are in a roll of toilet paper. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
we like it's crazy the stuff that we had to know in that world. So when people said, right. What do you do? I was like, I sell toilet paper and they're like, You went to college to sell toilet paper? I mean it was just it was crazy to do that. Um, you know, and then my most recent job was selling teeth. So I was like, Yeah, I sell teeth and people were like, We mean you sell teeth. It's like, you know, you selling go to teeth? Explain that one to me, please. How do you sell <laughs> yeah, teeth? Yeah, right. Right. So you sell teeth, like I sold teeth in the dental industry. And so I worked for a dental lab, and so I sold the crowns, the bridges, the dentures. So when you go to the dentist and they put the goo in your mouth, I sold what they make to make your teeth look pretty. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's an interesting business to be on the, in, that, in those odd arenas that a lot of people don't really know about, to be honest, unless they've been to a dentist and they've seen the process. That's very interesting. So now I know now I know what we're talking about here. Uh, like for instance, I had some crowns last year, and I remember this. I had to bite into the thing, and then two weeks later they sent it back. So basically, you were selling the the crowns themselves. Right, the crowns themselves, the service of the lab. So I mean, the lab business works where there's lab technicians, there's artists in the lab that build out the process of the crowns that go in your mouth. And so um, there's a lot of people that play in that process to, to put that, and they actually call it a medical device, to put the crown in your mouth. So there's a lot that goes into it. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep the secret to myself of how much the lab charges for the teeth, because I know the dentists charge way more. But it is, it is earned because there's a lot more that goes into it. So, right. um, but, you know, the, the whole point is it really doesn't matter, like, what you sell. Whatever you guys sell out there, it really doesn't matter as long as you believe in it and you build relationships and you serve your clients in a consistent manner. So it really doesn't matter what the widget is. You've got to believe, build relationships, and be consistent out there in the marketplace. Right. I've always believed that even if what we're selling is a tangible good, it's not really that good you're selling. It's the result you're selling. So if you're selling me a widget, you're not selling me the widget. You're selling me what I'm going to experience because I buy the widget. Exactly. You know, I'll tell you, here's the thing. When you, when you get different people from different um, levels of sales knowledge, right, so in order to build your sales knowledge, there's, like, the first steps of, like, how to sell. You know, you meet them, you ask them questions, you get to know them, you know, you find out their pain. You provide a solution and you close them. Like there's like basic steps in the sales process. But right. what what differentiates, you know, as you get better from like the beginning to becoming more masterful in your business is when you really can do a really good job of painting that picture, like exactly what you just said, painting that picture of how your widget or solution or your service like takes that thorn out of their side. Like, you have to get right. them envisioning themselves using it. So you say it perfectly, and that's really when you can get to that point, you really are becoming more of a master of sales, and you're just solving problems. It's not about selling them into something that they don't want. Right, right, certainly. So why do you think that so many people out there dislike or avoid sales or hate to be called salespeople? I mean, as I mentioned at the very beginning of our show here, this is one of the top things that our listeners want to hear about, more about how to close the deal, how to overcome the fear of selling or the aversion to selling. So why do so many people dislike or avoid sales? Oh, you know, it's funny that you the, something else just popped out in my mind there because 
everybody wants to have the knowledge to learn sales. But what I notice is, is even if they have the knowledge, what comes next is the implementation. And they're still right. scared. They're still scared to get out there and implement because they're afraid of rejection, which nobody wants to be told no. But you have to build up that thick skin and get used to it and get used to people telling you no because it means no, not now, or it means they're not a good fit for your product and it's okay for people not to be a good fit for your product or service. But beyond that, Adam, is that I think there's two main reasons why people dislike, and we touched on this in the beginning, is that there's so many, like, pukey, disgusting behaviors out there. And so it's just a turnoff because people do not want to associate themselves with the bad reputation that sales have or sales rep. I mean, I just met a guy last night who was like, oh, yeah, sales isn't for me. I'm not in sales. I don't, I don't, I don't do that. And if I were to ask him why, I bet he would say, well, because I don't swindle people or I don't steal from people. He may say something negative associated with that. Right. And so the, the goal is, is to disassociate, you know, ourselves from how we view the other behaviors out there. And, and the second reason, because I said there were two reasons, is because of mindset, which I just touched on, and fear. You know, those things play into why you may dislike or avoid sales. You may think it's something else. You may be scared of it. You may be afraid of the outcome. You may be afraid of putting yourself out there. So there's a lot of different aspects that go into that. Right. Right. So let's talk about the first part of the answer. Let's dissect this a little bit. Uh, there seems to be this bad stigma on salespeople out there. And you know, I've seen so many terrible examples of these, quote, unquote, bad salespeople. I mean, do you see that too? Oh, yes, everywhere. Like, I, I really do. I see it a lot of places, and it's a shame. Um, I try my best when it's appropriate to offer up suggestions in a way that's not condescending. You know, like I try to be nice when I see someone uh, where they have room to improve. I actually was just at my UPS box and the guy who, like my mailbox for my business, and the guy who purchased the store decided that in order for the business to grow, he needed to move the location of the store. And when he moves the location, that means all of us, our business address is going to change. And whether you move from your house to your business, the big pain in your butt to change your address on all of your documents and all of your things. Would you agree? Right. Yes. Right. Right. So I went in there and, you know, he was telling me the movement. I'm like, oh, that's a shame. And he's like, I'm going to do whatever I can to help you. And I'm like, wow, that's great. And then the next thing out of his mouth was, how can I help you? So I said, you know, actually what would be great is if I, if you could give me a checklist of, like, what are the things I need to change so I don't overlook anything. And the first thing out of his mouth, and this is why, you know, because it was all about him. He was like, oh, but I'm moving, and it's really hard, and I don't, I, I don't think I have time for that. And he's hard telling me about all of his problems. And I was like, you just asked me about how you could help me, and now you're telling me you can't help me because you're too busy, right? right. And so that's what we would view, some of us may view that and be like, well, wait a minute, this dude just in it for the money. Like, he didn't even care about what I just said, right? So that would be an example, a very recent one of, of yeah. uh, you know, I mean, it's just, it, it's bad. It can be bad out there, but it also can be good. Yeah, I 
I can tell you a couple quick experiences of my own that have to do with um, buying cars. I remember when I was about 21, 22 years old, I was getting ready to graduate from college myself, and I was, uh, and I was thinking, could I possibly, you have to bear in mind, this is about 1998, could I possibly come out of college and buy or lease a brand-new Camaro? So what do you think somebody who's 21 or 22 year, years old is going to do? We're going to go to the dealership, and we're going to ask a couple questions about this. So I get assigned to a, to a salesperson on the floor, and she says, do you want to take her for a spin? Now, I'm 21 years old, and somebody's dangling the keys to a 1998 Chevrolet Camaro Z28 in my face. What do you think I'm going to say? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, Give me the keys. So we took Great. It, yeah, so we took it on the so we took it on the standard test drive, and so we get back to the place, and the next thing you know, this woman's sales manager is all up in my face, yelling at me, saying, "We don't have time for our people to take people to take people like you on joy rides of our cars. If you're not going to buy today, get out." And then he actually Ooh. followed me to my car to make sure he left. Now you know what you Ooh. know. You want to know why I went to that dealership? Why? I went to that dealership because I wanted to know if the calculators that I was using online to figure out how much the car would cost me were accurate. Wow. I was looking for somebody, and didn't, it didn't even have to be a salesperson, somebody to take 30 seconds to show me how to figure out what I could afford. It's mm -hmm. not my fault that their salespeople uh, took me for a ride in the car because I expressed an interest in the car. So that was their responsibility. And as I was walking out, I even said to the woman, as this guy was chasing me out, I said to her, is, uh, is, uh, yeah, I said, you know, here's my phone number. In a year from now, when you're working for somebody else, call me. I'll make sure you get my business. Mm. Yeah. yeah. That's... Now, com compare that to an experience I had three years ago when I leased my current car. And I, I know my lease is almost up here, so I have to make decisions about what I'm going to do. And I get assigned to a sales representative on the floor, and he basically pulls out a bunch of uh, paperwork, and he says, okay, you know, here's, here's, here's my margin on the car. Here's what I have to work with. Here's what I need to put in my paycheck so that I can feed my family. Um, I understand you have needs, too, so let's just sit down and work something else. And right I leased the car because he took a straightforward approach with me. He recognized me mm -hmm. as somebody who was educated, who understood how it all worked, and he also saw in me that I knew that he had to make a fair living too, so we worked out what I think is a really great deal. I've been very happy with it since the very beginning. Oh, that, see, and that's, and that's art right there, because he wasn't trying, he wasn't thinking about the commission, that commission breath thing I talked about earlier. Because right. if he was, he wouldn't have opened up the book queue and he would have been trying to maximize the commission, which is definitely a good business tactic when appropriate. You know, you don't always want to cut out your commission or cut out right. your profit. But at the same time, like you said, know when you can play the cards based on the person you're dealing with. Right, right. So, I mean, so that was very brilliant on his part, if I say so myself. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you know, and you know how it is when you get to the place where you end up buying the car you're, or leasing the car you're going to buy is where you find yourself suddenly trapped while they – appraise your trade-in or they call for approvals or things like that because they want to make sure that you don't make it to the next dealership down the road. They want you to do a deal today. So I kind of knew what they were, were up to. And while he had me waiting, while he, uh, quote, unquote, uh, dealt with five other customers, he brought me over a bottle of Mountain Dew. 
And he said, hey, if I have to borrow Mountain Dew, I can't drink the whole thing. You want to split it with me? And I said, I'll split your Mountain Dew with you, but doesn't, that doesn't mean I'm leasing a car today. And he laughed because he understood that I knew the principle he was doing. And this is something you mm-hmm. see very common, particularly in the automotive industry. And, in fact, a friend of mine who's a sales manager let me in on this secret. Uh, whenever you walk into a dealership, what's the first thing that they typically offer you other than a test drive? They, they, um, my guess would be that they're going to ask you what you want your payment to be. Well, I'm thinking something even uh, on a more basic human level. How are you? Do you want water? Do you want a drink? Coffee? There you go. There you go. They offer you a cup of coffee because the principle of reciprocity, even if it's grossly uneven, says I did something for you, now you do something for me. I took a moment out of my time to get you a nice cup of coffee, now I want you to do something for me, which is to buy this car today so I get a nice paycheck. Mm-hmm. Yep, very yeah, true. It, yeah, in, in, fact, in, fact, in fact, most of the literature out there about how to drive a hard bargain with a car dealership, the very first thing they say is never accept the cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, wow, that's that's really good uh, advice. I hope everybody's writing that down right now because, yeah. you know, and, and the other thing I want to pull out from this part of uh, the conversation is that, you know, when, when you take the time to understand sales at any level from basic to mastery, the more you know about sales, then the more you can go in prepared as a consumer. Because imagine if you understand sales and you understand the things that need to happen in the relationship and throughout the process, it's going to make you a smarter consumer because you're going to know who's messing up, where they miss. You're going to know exactly how you want to be dealt with. So it's going to make it easier for you to find those relationships and get the clarity when you go in. So you can be like, nope, you're not the person for me. or You know what I'm saying? Like you, It changes your expectations. I deal with people on a whole different level because I have sales experience. Right. You know You know what else, too? And, and I, we have to move on here because I'm thinking about when I leased my car three years ago. And, you know, after you do the deal, the main part of doing the deal, then they take you in with the finance manager or the sales manager, you know, the person who then sells you on the, all the protection plans and the warranties and everything else. And he had a pretty interesting approach, too, where he said, look, I got, this, I, got, I got five different options here for you. Uh, I think that three of these apply to you. Uh, let me run over these real quick. I'm pretty sure this one doesn't. Uh, but based on, and then he walked through it with me, and he said, based on all of this, uh, you know, wh- what, what do you think? And then I said, well, you know, I asked him questions. He said, well, you know, based on you know, all this, I think here's some of the pros and here's some of the cons. So what he did is rather than trying to, lean over me and make me feel threatened if I didn't take up on all these upsells and, you know, give me apocalyptic views of surcharges and everything else when I turned the car back in. He just explained my options and helped me arrive at the right decision. And I think he ultimately got the exact goal that he was hoping for. I know the big one for him seemed to be the protection plan on the key fob because you know how cars have the uh, keyless entry and that and then mm-hmm. the little thing that pops out that you turn and those things cost a few hundred dollars to replace and the protection plan on those things is a fraction of the replacement car cost. I mean, I I've lost those things before. I don't want to replace those. That made a lot of sense. Now, we've just had a conversation about uh, some of the pukey, disgusting behaviors that we see in salespeople, and I believe that a lot of folks are basically good or they do it with good intentions. 
But what can cause somebody to adopt a bad sales style? I would say some of the, the largest reasons are because they just don't know any better. There's one. You know, fair enough. You don't know any better. And until you know better, you can't get better. Or possibly you're out there and you're pressured by numbers from your corporation or your job or maybe you're a new entrepreneur so you're like, crap, i got to put food on the table. So right. that can that can really change the dynamic for somebody. Or maybe they only care about themselves or their money, so they're selfish, you know, and that's a harder one right. to untrain. So hopefully none of the listeners have that one. We'll just cross that one off because no one, no one in your listening crowd like that, right? Right. And then, right. Um, and then, you know, maybe they're not aware, you know. So always check in with some of your trusted friends or mentors so that they can let you know if you're coming across desperate. Maybe you don't even realize that you're aware that you are coming across like that way. You have good intentions, but no one's told you. Right, right, right. So now that knowing that there are people out there who have shown us how not to do it, I know a lot of our listeners may still be stuck over this. And this is something that's been a journey for me as well. So as many of our listeners know, when we bring our guests on, not only am I conducting the interview, but I'm also sitting with our listeners, pen and paper in hand, looking for that slight edge to move my business forward as well. So many of our listeners may be stuck, and even though they may not be any of these terrible examples that we just gave, they may know better, they may be doing it better, they may still have a fear of sales. So how do we help them overcome that? I believe that there are four distinct sales styles that will help free people from the fear. There okay. are, there, I was thinking, because there are sales styles out there. I have become successful for certain characteristics and styles that I possess. But there are other reps who do it differently who are still successful. So right. I said, well, obviously not everybody has to do it the same exact way. Because I feel like some sales training out there says, here's how it goes, jump in this box, and do it this way. Right? Right. So that's hard because you're like, that's not my way. I don't want to do it that way. Right. Here's the thing. So these four styles, there's four of them. So you have the buddy, the closer, the techie expert, and the connector. And I'll go into each one really quick to give you an idea of what they are. So the buddy, the buddy is someone who's like bubbling, outgoing, is a people person, loves everybody. They light up the room. For them, the sale begins when the deal closes. They're strong at customer service. And a lot of times they'll be really close with their clients so that people will be like, hey, come out on my boat. Or maybe when they see their clients, they'll say, how are your kids, Johnny and Susie? How are swimming lessons with your daughter? They'll ask those types of questions. That's usually the type of relationship or the type of sales style that a buddy would have. The next one that would be the opposite of the buddy, would be the closer. So think about this like a four-quadrant um, personality sales style, right? So the opposite right. of the buddy would be the closer. So the closer would be someone who's competitive, they're hunters, they're driven by gold, they're driven by numbers, money, is not bad to be driven by when you use it the right way, and recognition. So these people love closing sales, so they get that high excitement of closing the sale and moving on to the next one. And so they'll be asked questions like, 
What do I have to do to earn your business? Are you ready to move forward? So, I mean, they're definitely, they're in it, they're in it for the close. Then if you shift over to what would be similar to that, but not quite, would be the connector, which is kind of like a combination of the buddy and the closer. So the connector is somebody who's outgoing, social. They would duplicate themselves to be at multiple events simultaneously because they want to be everywhere. And they love to maintain a web of friends. They love to connect, meet new people. And so for them, when you meet them, they say, oh, let me connect you to somebody in my network. So a lot of people right. come to them as resources, and since they give a lot, they also get a lot, so then they're closing, right? And then the last one, which is a mix of some of what the buddy has and some of what the closer has, would be the other one, which is techie expert. So the techie expert is someone who's detail and task-oriented. They love facts and figures. They love to document, organize. They're very resourceful because they may read a lot of, like, the industry magazines. They are the go-to in the industry on, like, as, a, as a technical resource. They know everything about the product. So those are the right. four different sales styles, and I believe that if you identify which one is yours, it will help to unlock that fear. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting way of viewing this because it's giving us a radical permission to be the person we are and to approach this from a position of integrity. I know one of the first quote-unquote sales jobs I had was working as a recruiter for a temporary staffing agency, and boy, I'll tell you that there was one exact right way, and it seemed no matter what I did, I was doing it wrong, and I think that that retrospectively caused me a lot of problems when it came to marketing and sales because it felt like a very uncomfortable thing for me and I felt like I was being forced into doing things that were very uncomfortable and I could tell that the person on the other line who was receiving it from me, you know, me making the calls I was instructed to make and such were kind of uncomfortable with it as well so I kind of empathized for them. You know, one example could be um, like let's say we had an applicant who would put on her uh, who would put on her application that she could not accept an assignment for less than ten dollars an hour. Now she's not trying to highball us. She just legitimately needs that amount of money to get out of her apartment and take three buses. Wow. And so when I keep getting told over and over again to keep offering her positions at seven fifty an hour and eight an hour that she just can't do, I, I'm like, I mean, and this this is definitely not a sales mindset. I'm I'm actually in my in the back of my mind thinking, I hope she tells me to buzz off because I feel bad having to make these calls. I really don't feel this is ethical. I really don't feel this is right. Why can't I be turned loose to find alternative methods of filling this? And, uh, I mean, I, I could talk about this all day long, but it really right. was not a very, you know, a very helpful situation. I know, knowing what I know right now, I could go back to that job and I could be their top producer. The clue that I had that I had right in front of me that I did not recognize at the time is when I showed up for my very first interview for that position, and I was told that one of the perks of working there is that after you work there for a year, they put your name on the front door. And mm -hmm. there were four names on the front door. Uh, two of them were the partners who owned the company. The third was the manager of the staffing company, and the fourth was one of the recruiters. 
and I asked how many people work here, and they said, oh, about 25. Oh, my gosh. So nobody made it, it was right here, in front huh? of me. It was right in front of me. Oh. And, I was, and I worked there for exactly eight months and 16 days, and wow. <laughs> I think the staff turned over a good 70 or 80% while I was there. It's little clues you need to look for that you may be going into mm-hmm. environment that may harm you in terms of being a salesperson more than you more than you recognize. So tell us, what happens when somebody looks back at these sales styles you've told us about, the buddy, the closer, the techie expert, the connector? And if you're listening to this on the podcast on iTunes, please make sure to go back a few minutes and take notes on the buddy, the closer, the techie expert, and the connector because you may find your style. Uh, what happens when somebody recognizes their sales style? When someone recognizes their sales style, you hit it on you hit it on the head. It's like that freeing experience. They're like, yes, I can be me, and they can start to implement and pay attention to what their strengths are, and also understand their weaknesses. You know, one of the things that I, I touched on when I was explaining them is how they're in opposite quadrants. Like the buddy and the closer are opposite quadrants, and the techie expert and the connector are in opposite quadrants. And so, for example, I'm a buddy. And I've built my business from being a buddy. I have strong tendencies from the connector, so I love to connect and be a network of people, but I'm more of a buddy. So I'll be in the offices. I'll be talking a lot longer. Well, my boss, and this is what you're talking about, where there's no one right way. My boss at the time said, you know, you just, you, you, I wish you would, like, close and move on. Like, close and move on. Like, you don't need to spend so much time there. And for someone who's a buddy, that's very restricting. But it's also something to keep in mind because even though you're connecting, you still need to be closing business. So it's something that a buddy could get better at to close sooner or more frequently. But you tell a buddy to be a closer and they're going to shut up. Like, I don't want to be a sales rep if I have to be a closer. That's not my style. Right. And same thing. If you're a closer and someone tells you to be more of a buddy, you go, okay, well, I can work that in. But you're going to freak out if someone tells you to sit in someone's office for 20 minutes. You're like, yo, i got to move on, right? Right. And so since it's really hard for everybody to grasp this, I have a freebie that I'm going to give all of your listeners. And so what the freebie is is going to be a PDF that you can access that will have information about all four of these sales styles. You can really look in and you can determine. You'll have personality indicators. You'll have information about the sales style. You'll have things to watch out for phrases that pay, and the ultimate fail for that fail style. So all of that is in this PDF that I'm going to give the listeners for free. And they can get it from going to jennyolding.com. So it's my first name, last name, jennyolding, O-L-D-I-N-G.com, slash bizcreators, B-I-Z, creators with an S. So go there, sign up, and get this resource so you can find out and unlock and have that freedom and get rid of the fear. Great. Well, I really appreciate that. I'm going to have to check that out myself. So thank you very much for that awesome resource. So, Jenny, you've been in the professional sales role for almost 10 years. Do you think that there's a secret sauce or secret ingredients or a special ingredient to being excellent in sales, and I will tell you, this is one of the top questions that our listeners ask us whenever we bring somebody on on a topic related to this. They're looking for some sort of step-by-step or something that they can listen to, take notes on, and take action on today, maybe with that next prospect call they have in two hours. Yeah, you know, and here's the thing. A lot of people want that 
that secret thing, that one thing. Well, here's, here's how I'm going to lay it out for, for everybody, is that there is no one thing, because if I told you that you have to network, you'd be like, well, maybe I don't want to network because I want to just be techie. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. there, there's not one thing. There really isn't. And so I looked back at my time in sales, and I said, what were the things, multiple, that helped me get to the top? And so consistently, I found nine ingredients that helped me get there. And the way that I'll give a visual, since they can't see anything that we're doing right now, is it's like baking a cake. And I know I, I may have lost half the listeners right there who are like, I've never baked a cake. I don't like cake. But just hang on with me, right? Think about right. baking a cake. We're talking traditional cake, not gluten-free, not vegan, not vegetarian. I support all of those but just drop some of the, the stuff that's very popular right now and very, you know, we're learning a lot about, okay? So the nine ingredients to go through them is you have to have follow-up, right? And the follow-up's like the flour in the cake. So if you bake a cake without flour, then you don't have a cake. So you have to follow up. Like this is very important. On top of relationships being important because that's like the sugar. You have to have sugar to bake a cake. You have to have and build relationships to be successful. The butter is the belief in yourself and the belief in your product. Because right. if you don't have that, forget it. Like, why are you even out there? It's time for you to move on and find a different product or service. Or if it's yourself, to work on yourself to build that confidence because people can feel that. Like you said, you felt uncomfortable talking to some of those people in that, in that sales job. They could feel it. They knew you weren't comfortable because you were like, I don't believe in this, right? Right, yes. The the next one is the eggs, and that's the networking. You still have to get there out there and network and be a face in your market. There will be different levels of networking that you decide to do based on what your goals are, but you, you have to get out there and meet new people. And then baking powder is being unique. So even if you work for a company, because like you said, some of the people on here work for companies, you still have to stand out. So be unique as baking powder. Brand yourself as vanilla. So you have to stand out compared to all the other people who sell what you do, who sell copiers, who sell financial planning, who sell real estate. Whatever it is, you have to stand out. And it's about they want to buy you. They have to like you first. And then the last three are your image. You have to be put together. You have to look nice. You have to look the part. And that's the salt. And then the personal development is the cocoa. So you have to pour into yourself, learn more. So you can check that one off because you're listening to this awesome podcast that Adam has put together for you, this radio show that Adam has put together for you. So you're learning this every time you tune in, every time you tune in. And, of course, if you don't have fun with it, that's the icing on the cake. You have to have the icing on the cake, and you have to have fun. I think you raised a lot of good points here, and I'd just like to point out uh, something that I found kind of funny myself. I know we're not talking about dietary choices here, but being vegan myself, I'm kind of glad that you put networking and eggs together because um, uh, eggs are like the one thing on this list for which there really is no vegan substitute, 
So that would be the first thing to go for <laughs> making a vegan cake. I mean, there's vegan flour. Um, there are vegan sugars. Uh, I have vegan butter. It, it exists. It's actually yep. very easy to get. And the rest of these things can very easily have equivalents. But I've tried the non-dairy eggs and thrown up on them. So I can tell Ooh. you that uh, there are going to be no eggs in my cake. And of these nine things, the networking is the hardest for me being introverted because whenever I go to a networking event, I'm usually halfway in the door and halfway out the door from the very start. I mean, that's just not my style to go to in-person type networking events. Now, I understand that we can do a lot of networking right from the comfort of your own home. I do sick amounts mm -hmm. of networking right from my computer, and it works to me pretty much just as well. I get plenty of business. I make many connections. I've got a lot of great things going for me. So what I'd like to do is just use that to transition into something and ask you, because some folks may have heard some of these and they may think, oh, follow-up. Well, what if, I, what if I annoy them with my follow-ups and they tell me to buzz off? Or networking. Oh, I hate networking. I'm, I'm an introvert. I, I don't want to be around people. Or, you know, after a long, hard day, I'd rather just curl up with a book and my cat. Or um, branding yourself. Some people may not have, at least at this point, the self-confidence to view themselves as a brand. Uh, personal development, they may feel they're already fully personally developed and they don't want to add the cocoa in. I mean, there's so many things that could be going on here. So what if people are still intimidated and afraid? What do we do? All right. So you brought up a lot of different things, and I could answer all of those different things in, in all of those directions. But here's what I'll start with, a couple of things. Number one, you have all of these nine ingredients, right? And if you're saying a lot of the stuff that you just said, Adam, and you're like, well, wait, what's this? What's that? I don't have this. I have that. You know, I want you to look at all nine of them, and I want you to say, okay, how many do I have and how many do I not have? And identify right. that. And if say you have three and don't have five or whatever the number is, do not right. try to implement all of the five that you don't have all at the same time. Start okay. with one of them. Right, get good at one of them and start bringing them in accordingly. Now, for me, the first four ingredients, the, the follow-up, the relationship, belief in self and belief in product, or belief in self and products and networking, those first four ingredients are the most crucial, just like they are in a cake. And then the rest of them continue to add to the baking, but if you left the salt out, it wouldn't be the end of the day. If you left the cocoa out, it wouldn't be the end of the day but all of them make right. that beautiful, delicious cake, right? And so really look at these and identify, okay, which ones are your weaknesses, which ones are your strengths? And if, like you said, networking's not your thing, define what networking means to you. If you're like Adam and you're like, look, I can do it all online, I kick butt, I make all the connections I need, my business is rocking, then you got the networking. Maybe the networking for someone like me who's a buddy says, no, I need to be out there meeting people. So if you're like that, get out there and meet people. Or if you, even if you're an introvert and you want to go out and meet people, you know, one of the things you can do is say, all right, I'm going to go one foot in and one foot out the door. I just have to meet two people and I can leave. You know what I'm saying? So you make it worth your time to go, but you don't have right. to be there the whole time and meet 500 people, right? Do what works for you yeah. in your business. So that's, that's, that's really how I want to answer that question because that's how you can take what you just heard and you can rock out with it. Right. I think that that is 
a really great way of looking at it. So first what we're doing is we're defining our terms and making sure that we're comfortable with our definitions, and then we're looking for ways to make the, this work for us. And I know for a lot of folks, because many people mention this to me, many of our listeners, many of my clients, many of my prospects, many of my social media buddies say that networking, like going to these networking things and meeting people and all that, it's about the last thing they want to do. It's about the most draining thing that they can envision themselves doing. So they feel themselves held back by conscious choice that they don't want to do it. Now, what I want to pull out there is something that you said, which was very brilliant, which is let's say you go to a networking event and you know that this is really not your scene, you know this is really not where you want to be, you'd rather be at home curled up with a good book and your cat. Well, that's all well and good. So you set yourself a goal that I'm going to come in here and I'm, I know I'm not a social butterfly, I know I'd rather go hide in a corner, but I'm going to make two really great connections. And if it takes me an hour to make them, that's fine. If I make them in five minutes, that's fine. After I make these two really great connections, I have set my goal and I'm going to go home, open up my book, and pet my cat. Right. That's the reward, right? Because if you're already going to yeah. drive there, it's kind of silly to turn around and bounce. Now, one, now one right. thing I want to I mention that, that pops in my mind is w with the networking. Networking is very important no matter if you're going to do it online or offline. You've got to have people because you can't do this by yourself. You always have to have people you can lean on, number one. Number two is that you always have to know what your purpose is of going there. So if you're going to use the purpose we just talked about to meet two people, then that works. Maybe you network because you want to make friends, and that's fine. Maybe you're not even there for business. You're trying to build your network of friends. That's fine. Right. Or maybe you're there to find a, a, a job. Maybe you're there to find um, a partner. Maybe you're looking for a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife. You know what I'm saying? Like, know why you're there because it will make that experience so much more fruitful for you instead of being there for the reason that the other person in the room is there for. Just be clear about that, and it'll make that networking piece easier. See, I like that, too. And there's something else you said that I want to draw for our listeners. Uh, so often when we hear the phrase networking, in terms of what that colloquially means, it gets translated to hustle for clients. Well, what if you were not at a place where you felt comfortable, quote, unquote, hustling for clients? Or maybe, you know, you are good at it and maybe you do enjoy it, but today you just don't want to. What would be so bad about going to a networking event and just meeting new people, getting to know people, and maybe making some new friends? Because you're still making connections that could lead to business. Because if you make a positive impression on somebody, they could refer you without you even asking for the referral. Because they might say, hey, you know, I, I met that Jenny Olding at this thing two weeks ago, and she's really good when it comes to this whole helping people overcome fear of selling. So, Tell you what, let me, let me check here. Oh, yeah, here's her card. Here's her number. Give her a call. Tell her I sent you. I mean, right. you, can end up getting, you can end up getting business that way just because you were friendly to somebody. Or you may find yourself in a situation where you meet somebody and you have the opportunity to refer them just to do a good thing because you run across somebody who feels like they may be a fit for them. And they may turn around and do you a favor. They may say, hey, thanks for that referral and I need to hire you. Or thanks for that referral and I have a referral for you. So it doesn't have to be, quote, unquote, hustling for clients, racking up business cards or anything like that. I went to an event several years ago, and I, uh, I was there with a, a buddy of mine, and he and I had um, sort of a contest to see who could get 
the most business cards by noon of Sunday, the last day of the event. And I just took it as a, a friendly competition, and uh, I, I beat him by two. I got two more cards than he did. But I wasn't thinking of that as, well, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get X number of cards. I'm going to turn it into X number of business. I'm thinking that meant, I, that meant I met 32 people or 42 or whatever it was. I don't remember the exact number. And because I didn't really feel I wanted to, quote, unquote, hustle for clients or anything like that, I just viewed it as, well, I'm going to make some good connections here, and I'm going to do this all in the spirit of a fun contest. And a lot of those people that I met just by going through that process are people that I'm still very closely connected to to this day. It was one of the most magical events I've ever attended. You know, I want to underscore that. I really want to to drill that point home uh, even a step further, right? And so like you said, I said, you know, make sure you know what your purpose is. So even if your purpose is to get business, or to get appointments or to sell something, you still have to go with that same mindset that Adam just spoke about right there. You know what I'm saying? You still have right. to go in and make the friends. And that is going to be a key that will help a lot of people who are scared of networking. You know what I'm saying? But I even want to remind those who love networking not to be so, you know, maybe straight into the jugular or too, you know, like in your face because they're like, oh, I got, I got to get 10 appointments here. You know what I'm saying? Like, relax, make the connection. It doesn't have to happen at that meeting. You know what I'm saying? Where you get to spend the sign on the paper. So building that relationship, whether it's a friendship or, you know, you're in there for business, like, remember that that's a, a huge piece is to build a relationship and not just be like business, business, business. Right. Right. And and I think that that's so powerful. And when we just, um, and when we just uh, you know, think of, this, of it this way and give ourselves radical permission to do things on our own terms and still do it the right way, we're going to get so much further. So if I go to this networking event, you know, I really don't feel like going to this event and hustling for people, maybe I'm just going to meet some new people. And maybe I give myself the permission to say, you know what, if I go there and it feels like I already know everybody, maybe I'll just hang out and have a good time. Maybe I'll cut out early. Or if I, uh, or if it turns, if this really just starts to feel like the vibe is off, I'm a human being and I have the right to leave. Or I'm going to go there, I'm going to make two great connections, I'm going to go home. That takes five minutes to two hours. Whatever it takes, I'm going to make my two connections, I'm going to excuse myself, whatever it is. So this has been very liberating for me, Jenny. And first of all, I do want to thank you so much for taking time for us in the Business Creators Radio Show today. And we have about two minutes left here, so what I'd like to do is just turn over the floor for about uh, for about a minute here and just give our listeners who are on the edge of their seat wanting to take this to the next step, uh, just give them a sense of, you know, how you can support them and how they can get a hold of you. And if you could please repeat that gift offer one more time, that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a lot of different ways I can help the listeners. Um, one of them is you can uh, follow me and connect with me on social media. I'm all over social media with Jenny Olding, J-E-N-N-Y-O-L-D-I-N-G. You can search that on all yeah. of them and you'll find me. Um, the freebie, if you want to get all of the sales files and your pen couldn't write fast enough and you couldn't replay this fast enough, go ahead and get it. It's all there in a PDF, jennyolding.com slash bizcreators, B-I-Z creators with an S. You can go there to get that. Um, and then, honestly, I'm only going to work with people who are a good fit, and I know that my services can help. So if you feel like that is something that interests you, make sure you sign up for a discovery call. We can talk about how I can help you out. We can do some coaching. 
Um, or even if I can connect you to anybody in my network, reach out. And if, if I can help you out, I'm here to help and serve and be a resource. Absolutely. So, Jenny Olding, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, this has been a great interview. And, uh, and for everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.